and welcome to my podcast, Conversations with David. I am your host, David Owasi. And on this podcast, we're talking to accomplished professionals and entrepreneurs across uh, the country and across the world. And uh, we are learning about what keeps them passionate, what keeps them going. And we're also talking about some of the lessons learned along the way. Now, I'm here with my good friend, someone I have huge respect and admiration for, Chris Wolf. Why don't you introduce introduce yourself, Chris? Hey there. Uh, my name is Chris Wolf. I live on the east side of Seattle uh, in Washington State in the U.S., depending on where you're watching this from. Uh, we call it the Pacific Northwest, but I guess if you're in Canada, we'd be the Southwest. Uh, and I know David through uh, an entrepreneurship program that we both participated in uh, for many years, and I'm happy to be here today. Absolutely, uh, Chris, and I am very excited to have you on, on the show here. Uh, I have known you for quite some time now through our years, through College Pro Painters as, as business owners, and uh, you were one of those guys who were putting up insane numbers and had uh, incredible uh, high performance. So I'm very curious to, to, to share some of uh, your story with our audience and just learn more about you. But I want to start out with your entrepreneurship journey in the first place. What really got you interested in entrepreneurship? Why was that something that even got you interested? Well, you know, what's funny is what initially drew me in wasn't the idea of running my own business. It was the idea of being a leader. Uh, everything in my life, I had always been a leader. You know, I was the oldest sibling in my family. Uh, sports, I was always one of the captains. In academics, I was always one of the high-performing students leading the way. Clubs, group projects, just everything was always about leadership for me. Uh, and so when I... Uh, was framed in that way, you know, maybe you're not interested in running a business, Chris, but are you interested in becoming a better leader? It's like, ah, you got me. Uh, And then once I got into entrepreneurship, I realized that it's a great fit for me because I've always been someone who kind of walks to the beat of my own drum, I think is the expression. Or uh, the the one I really like is there's a Robert Frost poem, right? The road not taken. Many people know this poem. And I, I took the road less traveled by for that has made all the difference. Excellent. Totally makes sense. And I think a lot of us entrepreneurs, we kind of have that little itch uh, and uh, we can't let it go. We want to uh, decide our own fate, if you will. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and running your own business gives you the opportunity. And that was one of the things that actually drew me into entrepreneurship myself, sort of making my own way and just deciding how I want things to go. And I think that's an allure for a lot of people. But I'm very curious, uh, Chris, your first year in business, what was that experience like? You know, you started your first year as a, I believe it was as a college pro painter, right? Was that your first business? So, yeah. So what was that like for yourself? What was that for you? Ah, it was a wild, glorious mess. (laughs) It's probably the best way to put it. Um, I worked really hard. I applied myself to the fullest of my physical capabilities and limitations. Um, I brought in a lot of revenue. Uh, I was the, you know, so we were in a franchise system for those who don't know. And so I was the top first year franchise owner in the entire company in the United States and Canada. Um, But my profitability was very low, uh, especially considering how much volume I did. And I, I learned some hard lessons about, um, well, about leadership, first of all, but also about some hard lessons about financial management and knowing where all the money is uh, and, uh, and learning what it means to actually be in control of your cash flow as a business owner and making mm-hmm. sure that the money that comes in is going to pay the certain bills that need to be paid, payroll, uh, 
suppliers, et cetera, and that you actually know what's going on, not just hope that the money will be there at the end, right? Um, and also I had a lot to learn about leadership. You know, I told you growing up, I was always a leader in this, that, and the other thing. And I thought that I was a really good leader, but my first couple of years as a business owner showed me how much more I had to grow as a leader. Hmm. Absolutely. And you know what? I really, I really uh, resonate with your point on financial management. In my first year as a business as well, it was a bit of a gong show. Um, I didn't have as much <clears throat> as revenue as you had in your first year. But all the same, I struggled with uh, understanding where my money was going. And for you know our listeners who are thinking, you know, they're probably focused on, I want to run the best business I can in my first year. I want to bring in all the revenue I can. But they're not really focusing on the numbers and where the money is going. How did you realize that that was a big problem in your business? And what did you do to actually try and remedy that situation when you found out uh, that you were not on top of your finances? Yeah, well, it's actually pretty embarrassing. Um, but I'll be honest, in the hopes that others can learn from it, I got to the point where I was trying to pay off supplier bills and payroll bills, and I didn't have enough money in my account, and I had no idea how I didn't have enough money. How could I be doing so much revenue and so much volume and so much activity and literally not be able to pay my payroll? I was like, uh, that's bad. It is right? bad. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was already you know, knee deep or probably, I guess you'd say neck deep realistically in it at that point. So I just had to kind of survive through that first year and then I could kind of get back onto it. Um, but that was a really frustrating experience, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I'm sure it was frustrating for my suppliers. And uh, I mean, I made sure the payroll came through some way or another, um, but it was kind of like, uh, I think another expression would be robbing Peter to pay Paul, right? Take this money from over here to pay this thing right now and hope that I come up with more money to pay the other thing later. Uh, and I just realized that's not, not sustainable. Hmm. You know, that's how businesses go out of business. Hmm. And luckily I was in a system where I, I was supported and I was taught and trained and I had other people to say, hey, Chris, maybe you should try doing this, this and this. But that was really, you know, how I caught it was I was already in it. Uh, and I realized I didn't want to live that experience again. Hmm. And then uh, I got better, much, much better about weekly and monthly financial tracking. You know, what expenses, job costing, you know, or uh, whatever industry you're in, you should always know the cost of everything you're doing, whether you're doing manufacturing, you're doing, you know, 5,000 units of something, or you're in construction like we were and you completed a project, you should always know what your costs were on that run right after it happens. Ideally, you project before you do it, then you immediately, as soon as it's complete or even ongoing, then you immediately compare back to it, right? So you know exactly what's going on with your cash generating operations. Uh, and then also, I just got so disciplined about like weekly financial updates. You know, and I'm not going to wait until the end of the summer, the end of the year to go through all these receipts. I'm going to go through on Sunday night and I'm going to say, okay, I spent $200 on office supplies and I spent $400 on auto repairs and I spent $200 on gas and I spent $100 on food. Wow, I spent $100 on food this week. Dang. Right. So that weekly updating uh, of overall expenses is something I still do, even in my personal life. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And those are very, very important lessons to learn, even whether or not you're an entrepreneur, uh, having some sort of way to track your finances, however you're making your money, whether you're in a normal job or if you're running your own business. And I think for myself, when I think about my first year and some of my biggest lessons was really understanding myself and my habits when it comes to finances. So um, the coaching I received at the time was to you know do your tracking every Sunday night. But I really, really, oh, I think it was called Financial Fridays. We had Financial Fridays too. <laughs> and I, I think my biggest struggle at the time was I just could not bring myself to be consistent doing it every week. So what I ended up doing was I created this like uh, Excel uh, spreadsheet. And anytime I spent money out of my business, it was a Google Drive spreadsheet. I just like put it in right away. And when I was able to put it in right away, it, it took me like what? one one minute to do everything at every given time but it became a habit and that way you know my numbers i felt very uh, i felt very confident about the accuracy of my numbers and how they reflected the health of my business at every given time because i created a habit and i guess i don't really i will talk about this you know the awareness of knowing your behavior and what you're most likely to do and what works best for you and incorporating that behavior into your everyday do, do you agree with, with that analysis yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the cool things about being an entrepreneur is you get to say, hey, this really works well for me, so I'm going to do it this way. And that's one of the things that I really struggle with when I try to work for other people is uh, when you work for someone else or in someone else's organization, they want you to do something a certain way. And, yes. you know, there's always give and take, right? But, you know, the true freedom of an entrepreneur is you can say, hey, this is how I want to do it. So I'm going to do it this way because I found through repetition and experience and this and that, that this is what really works well for me personally. Hmm. You know, like you said, whatever habits, you know, humans are creatures of habit. But, you know, whether they're bad habits or good habits, humans are totally creatures of habit. Hmm. And you can create these habits for yourself. Um, and so for me personally, I like to do it on Sunday night. Uh, but, you know, daily, whatever works, right? It's about finding that and making it a habit for yourself and using that. I appreciate your insights on that. Now, uh, Chris, one of the, the big, um, I guess, strengths for your business, at least from an outside perspective, what's your consistent ability to bring in revenue? And at the end of the day, you know, no matter what your business is, no matter how cool your business idea is, it all comes down to getting customers and bringing in revenue. How were you able to approach that challenge of consistently, you know, getting sales and bringing in those new customers how what was that experience like for you and what can you uh i guess insight what can you provide as insights to listeners who are struggling with with that challenge yeah so first of all sales should excite you if you're not excited selling your product or your service then you need to change your product or your service because you should be excited to go give this thing to the world right i have this thing for the community, for the province and state, for the country, for the world, whatever. I have this thing and I want to get it out there. I'm excited to get it out there. Um, also, the, uh, the late, great Zig Ziglar, many people have heard of him, motivational speaker, uh, really phenomenal salesman. One of the many things I've taken from him is he says, if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll get what you want, right? And sales is problem solving. I feel like most people, even entrepreneurs, have this weird 
idea about selling as you're like kind of convincing people or like kind of getting one over on them like oh <laughs> you know oh they didn't know but i got them and and i think truly successful salespeople, so they believe in their product that's you have to believe in what you're selling but what you're selling is a solution right if i'm selling shoelaces i'm selling a solution for people that have shoes but no shoelaces right Mm-hmm. If you need shoelaces, I'm your guy. Da 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 da. Right? Or when I was selling paint jobs, or now I sell roofs, right? Mm. I'm selling solutions. I'm not just selling a roof. I'm selling, hey, you have a leak and water is getting into your house and you need someone to fix that. I'm going to help you fix that. Hmm. Right? Okay. When you frame it in terms of how you're going to help people, um, that's where I think you can be really successful. Hmm. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's still a grind. You know, what, whatever your selling process is, whether it's, uh, you know, online sales that just kind of come in, you know, and you try to take them through the process or you're doing in-person consultations, there's going to be people that look at being a customer of yours and decide not to. There's going to be people that you do a consultation for, you do X amount of work for, you, you know, phone call a bunch of times or whatever, and you just don't get it. And that's the deal. Nobody nobody in the history of selling has a hundred percent close rate absolutely yeah i definitely appreciate your insight there and that definitely shows why you were very successful in your sales career and continue to be successful i got two things from what you just said number one i heard that you have to think of what's in it for the other person it's not just you winning it's about how much value am i giving out to the other person such that they are convinced that i have the best intention and then number two is you know activities and volume you can't expect to you know sell two out of two you can expect to sell you know five out of 15 or you not know, eight out of 20 or whatever it is but the numbers has to be there and it sounds to me like the numbers has to be there consistently as well you can't just do a lot this week and a little bit next week it has to be consistent across the board right yeah and i think in a sales role or when you're focusing on the sales in your business the best thing to do is to have weekly benchmarks that you try to attain so you know when i like for instance when i was selling paint jobs i was trying to do 10 appointments a week every week that was my baseline i knew that if i did 10 good appointments on average every single week that i would book four, maybe five of them, right? Five on a good week, three on a bad week. Uh, but I would, I would, you know, and if I just hit that number every single week for a certain amount of time, sales would be there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, just for, for the sake of our listeners, Chris uh, did phenomenally in his uh, business. He did over two point, just around 2.5 million in four years of business selling pain jobs just pain jobs. That's just uh, this phenomenal. Now, um, um, Chris, uh, again, I'm very curious about, uh, you know, your business and that thing I think was huge about your business, how you led your team to accomplish, you know, the, the production of the pain job you're able to sell. Can you just share some insight on, you know, entrepreneurs who are starting out in their business and perhaps all they're focusing on is, okay, I want to make sure that, and I get those customers, I get a revenue in, but they're not really thinking about the leadership aspect, leading their team. How do you build those skills and what was that experience like for you growing in leadership as a business owner oh man i could probably talk longer than we have just (laughs) on that question alone um i'd say there's a few things about leadership right um particularly when you get into business and into the world and into leading an organization that you know maybe is bigger than you 
Um, the first is uh, you have to be about it. You have to set the tone through example. So uh, for instance, one of my things with my production team, I'm really big on punctuality, right? Uh, and in uh, residential construction, punctuality has not a big thing. Contractors have a terrible reputation for, well, you know, they'll be there sometime between nine and 12, hopefully-ish, right? I don't know, they didn't call me today. Mm. And so I set the standard uh, with my team that uh, you gotta be on time. And if you're late, you do a uh, push up for every single minute that you're late. <laughs> and uh, there's a multiplier of two or three or even four for repeat offenders. And what really took that over the top and showed every year, year after year that my, to my people that I was serious about it is that if I was ever late, which only happened a few times a year, but if I was late, I did the push ups too. I set the tone as the leader said, mm. it doesn't matter from the leader all the way to the bottom guy. This is the standard and this is how we do it. Mm. And it, uh, when people came onto my team very quickly, they understood that punctuality was an essential thing. Now mm -hmm. you can give you a million examples, but that's just like a really simple one, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so um, the other thing that I'd say about leadership in business uh, especially, you know, if it's your business, but really if you're in any role in the business as a leader, it's all about accountability. So one of the things that I ran into as I was growing and expanding all my revenue and I had all these teams, you know, I got up to the point where I have about nine teams, individual job sites going at, on any given day during mm -hmm. the summer. And it was at the point where I couldn't physically visit every job site every day to inspect the work. Right. And mm -hmm. so uh, accountability started to slip and I had to make the change. I had to bring on a new layer of management between me and my crew leaders of production managers that would actually help me make sure that every single job site got visited and inspected every single day before noon. Hmm. Very, very interesting. Yeah. So uh, accountability is definitely a huge piece. Totally. Uh, totally. Um, now, I want to make a little bit of a, a shift in that conversation here. And Chris, when we were preparing for this podcast episode, I was asking about some of the, the big themes or the ideas that has been on your mind recently. And I know you shared the idea of choosing to be happy and the idea of mindfulness and almost some sort of uh, stoicism and you know, being in control of what you choose to act on. Can you just share more about that point of view and why that is important, especially today as we're in a pandemic and things are uh, tough for everybody around? What, what has that been like for you yeah absolutely so for me i when i first got into entrepreneurship i felt like i was at this mercy of the business and i had to learn to take control of my emotions and my reactions right because good things happen and bad things happen uh, but what matters is how you deal with it and that's in business that's in life and that really helped inf like inform and jumpstart my thinking on the idea of, you know, and I, I'd heard it before, but it didn't really mean anything to me when I was a kid and I didn't have responsibility. You know, life is partly about what happens to you, but mostly about what you do when it happens to you, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, pandemic, that is something that none of us, well, 
99.99999% of us had no control over, hmm. right? There's a very small percentage of people in government and scientific organizations that have some sway in, you know, how this is going and, you know, especially in the government making decisions about lockdowns, et cetera, whatever. Hmm. 99.999% of the rest of us have literally zero control over this pandemic. Q cannot do anything about it. Talk about a, a business scenario from hell, <laughs> right? Uh, or a life scenario from hell. But what separates good business people or, you know, I think happy and successful people in general is, okay, there's this thing that I can't control. What am I going to do about it? Am I going to sit around and mope and be mad and just post on social media all day about how terrible this is? Or am I going to you know, decompress and figure out, okay, this is how it affects my business. This is what I can do. You know, for instance, I'm in the residential contracting space still. Um, we had to move to a contactless sort of service, right? Uh, where we would do, you know, physical inspections on site without meeting with the person at all. Uh, and then doing a Zoom call. Everyone does Zoom now, right? Uh, and doing some sort of Zoom call to present and talk and go over more about the project. So, you know, that's a pretty straightforward example of you could just say, well, I can't do my normal thing and this pandemic sucks and da, 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 da. Or you can say, okay, yeah, the pandemic sucks. Here's how I'm going to adapt and change and still try to bring in business. Mm-hmm. It depends on the industry you're in and depends on where you're at in life, but you can always control how you react absolutely yeah definitely i do agree with you as well you know a lot of things out of a control even outside a pandemic even if you're trying to just run your business in a normal environment you don't control who is going to say yes to your services you can control you know a lot a million things and focusing on what you can control and what you can impact is always always uh, always key now for for yourself chris i'm very curious uh, for someone who you know has not been in that habit is not grown that habit they are like someone who is likely to uh, feel overwhelmed with so many things that are out of their control. How do you condition your mind or how have you trained yourself to condition your mind to you know, not focus on things that are outside of your control? Because theoretically, you know, it makes sense when you and I are talking about it to not focus on all the things that are outside of your control. But in practice, you know, especially as we're in a pandemic, it's really hard for someone who's not had practice at that. How can you advise someone who wants to adopt this mindset? What should they be doing to grow the skill? Or at least how have you grown the skill over the years? Yeah, I think what I really like, so I stole something from the 12-step recovery programs. Mm -hmm. Uh, they say just for today right and it's basically this idea of start small and then if you keep doing these small changes over and over and over again eventually without even realizing it you'll get to this point where big changes have occurred and you can deal with a pandemic without losing your shit Mm. pardon my language I don't know if I can swear on your podcast you can (laughs) that's all right Uh, and so you know, are you, if someone doesn't have practice managing their emotions or, or staying balanced uh, and controlling their response to things, you're probably not going to immediately dive into, oh, pandemic, pandemic, no big deal. But you can maybe think about small things during the day when you spill the milk. Ah, oh, dang it. I spilled the milk. Wish I hadn't done that. I'm going to get it cleaned up. Boom. 
move on. So I'd say anytime you're making changes, whether it's to your mind state or to habits or uh, anything in your life, uh, business, personal, I always like to start small. And I find that if I keep doing the small things, the small changes, the easier to process ones, right? Then I'm more likely to all of a sudden have made that change in a big way. Mm-hmm. And it also helps have people to talk to you, you know, um, whether it's your significant other or trusted business advisors, it's always good to let people know where you're at on your journey so that when you start to fall into your bad habits or your old habits, they can say, Hey, Chris, I thought you said you're trying to, you know, react a little bit better to things. Oh, Oh, you're right. And Oh, Oh, okay. This is the time that I could maybe act. Oh, okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, having others informed of where you're trying to go and, and being open, it's gotta be people that you actually listen to. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it's people you listen to, they can help course correct you when you start to go into your old habits or your old style of, of reacting. Absolutely. Yeah. So focusing on those little small moments and then using that as a way to grow and improve that habit such that it almost becomes second nature to you when the big stuff happens and you're able to shrug things off and just focus on what you can control. When I think about myself, I think one of the one of the ways I have grown that skill is through journaling. So when I have a you know shitty or a bad experience, whether it's at a job site or I had a particularly bad week where all my prospects said no to me and it was just horrible or whatever it is, I go journal about it. And I write about my feelings and I always try and focus on this is how I feel. This is what is outside of my control. This is what I think I can do moving forward. I can book 10 appointments for next week, X, Y, Z, whatever it is I can do to move forward. And then I then go and you know, do those actions. And then whenever I feel similar ways, you know, in like you know, in that month or two, I go back to read my feelings from that one week where I was in that valley. And then I see how I was able to, you know, walk my way up to where I wanted to be. And it gives me that encouragement and perspective I need uh, when I'm feeling overwhelmed or things are out of my control. So I think that's, uh, that's really a useful insight and a useful thing to have. So Chris, uh, you're currently in your role at uh, Roofing 101. You work as a, a corporate account executive. Can you just share more about what you currently do in this role and how, uh, you know, navigating from uh, being a college pro franchise owner into this role has been for you. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm doing that thing. Do you ever do that thing where you say the same response over and over? I think I've said, yeah, absolutely. Like 12 times already. I have a habit of saying that too. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do my best to not say, yeah, absolutely anymore hmm. on this podcast. Um, so I was with college pro for a total of 10 years. I started as a painter. Uh, I spent a number of years running a franchise. Um, I coached people running franchises, went back to running a franchise. And I had luckily already started to plan for my post-college, or excuse me, post-college pro uh, experience. And I, um, I ended up finding, I started, I knew I wanted to stay in construction. I like construction. Uh, and I, I started learning the different trades and I really liked roofing. Roofing's great. If you're in the trades, roofing's awesome. High dollars and you get it done fast. Um, and so I, I had the fortune of connecting with some ex-college pro people who already own their own roofing business. And they're really in a, in a big growth phase, right? And so they brought me on to, initially I was brought on to help launch this region. We'd never operated in this region before uh, this year. 
And so my initial project with the company was basically start up the Northwest, get the sales going, get the production going, you know, make contacts with the suppliers and, and the movers and shakers in the industry here and get going. And it took uh, only about six months before that was all kind of moving. And then it was like, okay, you know, other people are taking the flag now and running with it. So what, uh, what is the next project? What else can I do? Uh, and so our, our next phase of growth that I'm working on is on our commercial sales team. Uh, you know, our, our company has a long history of really good residential work uh, and commercial is, it's the same work, just bigger, mm. right? But it's a different customer. What's right. really different is the customer and the process. So uh, my current role right now, I'm still doing a lot of residential sales because that, that pays the bills. Uh, I, uh, so I get paid mostly on commission, but I'm also helping to launch this whole commercial division, this whole commercial side of our business where we have the technical expertise. We just don't have any sales systems or processes or really any sales history to speak of. I mean, we've, we've done all these commercial projects, but hodgepodge here and there, not like a dedicated this is the commercial team and they're going to go get commercial projects and do commercial projects. So it's pretty exciting. It's still very entrepreneurial. You know, I'm, I'm working within someone else's organization, but really that first project. And even now the second one, I, I have a lot of uh, license to create and to do and to make and to break things. You know, mm -hmm. I think any, most entrepreneurs should uh, hold the Silicon Valley uh, ethos to heart, move fast and break things. And that's not to just break things in a negative way, but break, break the mold, mm. break, the, break the glass ceiling, break whatever is holding us back from creating what we want to create. Mm. So luckily, I still get to have that spirit, even though I'm technically working for somebody else. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome that you're able to still have so much control while, and I guess uh, the, the risk factor is a little lower, yeah, but I guess, I mean, that's almost the same because you're almost in you're still on commission. But uh, I have a question for you, Chris. So, so for someone who say, you know, they've finished running their first business and they're thinking, okay, I think it's time to make a transition, make a change uh, or whatever. What should they be thinking about as they're making a transition or a change? Number one, if they're thinking of making a change to run another business or to work on another business with someone, which is something similar to what you're doing right now. Or if you're thinking they just want to change dramatically and go into a whole different field, perhaps you know, start a career or work a normal nine to five job, what should be going on in their head or how should they be approaching making that transition, making that change? Yeah, I think first of all, as an entrepreneur, you have to be really honest with yourself. Can you go back to a nine to five job? Or can you do another one? If you just got fired from a nine to five job and you're trying to figure out, should I do it again or should I go start my own thing, right? Um, I think entrepreneurs in general, whether they work for themselves or they work for other people are people who are willing to take informed risks. Uh, and so number one, I'd say to anyone who's listening to this podcast, trust yourself. Trust yourself and bet on yourself because, you know, people always worry about, am I going to be able to pay the bills? Am I going to be able to have food on the table? You will. You'll figure it out. You're going to eat. Right? You know, if you are the type of person 
who is willing to start a business and put in the work to start a business, you know, you might not have as much money as you want, but you'll figure out a way to make it work mm. until you start having as much money as you want. Right. If you are going to go work for somebody else, I think you have to be really closely aligned with their mission, vision, and values and how they operate. Mm. Uh, because you're going to have that natural friction of you want to be the leader, you want to do your own thing, but you're working for someone else. And the only way to overcome that is if you really believe in them and you believe in the organization. Sure. If you're an entrepreneur at heart and you try to go work for a company or organization that you don't closely align with, you're going to have two different dissonances. You're going to have the, A, I'm working for somebody else when really I want to work for myself. And then B, I don't believe in this company. Mm. That's really tough to overcome. And you're just going to be really upset about it. Mm. So I, I'm constantly telling people, uh, make sure to bet on yourself. And even in this current role, I mean, technically I'm an independent consultant. I have my own uh, consulting firm and I get paid through that firm by Roofing 101. Uh, I'm, I'm working with Roofing 101 for the long haul. It's a long-term commitment. Mm. I'm doing different projects for them. Um, but even now I'm technically an independent contractor. Right. And, uh, and I think if you're truly an entrepreneur, it's really hard to shake that all the way. And you gotta be honest with yourself and you gotta um, let go of the fear. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate your answer, Chris, and that, you know, feel a lot of wisdom and experience. Um, something similar for myself, the whole reason why I started this uh, podcast in the fourth place was because I lost my my nine to five through this pandemic uh, as a professional recruiter. And then I figured, well, I was not really feeling 100% comfortable in that nine to five role. I was always having that itch anyways. And I felt, you know, if there's any time to go all in and be back into my entrepreneurship zone again, it's now when I started my consulting company and I have a whole bunch of clients lined up. I provide you know, coaching to small businesses as well. Um, but uh, one of the things you mentioned that really, really spoke to me was the idea of being honest with yourself. Because at the end of the day, you know, you don't want to start something new if it's not something you truly believe in or something that really aligns with who you are and what you want to do. And I guess that kind of segues into my next questions and point about emotional intelligence slash soft skills. And one of the pillars of, of emotional intelligence is really the skill of self-awareness. And my question for you as we start this uh, you know, topic is, what would you say is a place of skills like this, emotional, uh, emotional intelligence, soft skills, and then the communication leadership, we've talked about all of those earlier. What is the place of that in success as an entrepreneur and just general career success as well? Uh, I like what you said about emotional intelligence starts with self-awareness. Uh, I think it's really important. It's hard to be honest with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have this story in your head about how things are and how you are. And you have to be really open-minded to the feedback that you get from the world and from people in the world about who you actually are. Mm. Right? Like to take it back to the example, when I first started running my painting business, I thought I was a great leader, but it turns out I was just an asshole. And so there's, you, you'll get feedback from the world. The question is whether you listen to it or not. Uh, and because I'd say when you're looking at yourself, you have to have like a, a, 
a bit of the feedback from the world and then be willing to like actually like oh am i like that oh okay um but yeah it's probably the most important part is the self-awareness you know emotional intelligence when i think emotional intelligence i typically think about how i'm reading other people's emotions and how i'm interacting with other people which is also extremely important mm. if you're running a business even if you're an owner operator you still have your clients you still have your suppliers you still have the government you know permitting officials you have to deal with right there's all these people that you have to deal with but um the more honest you can be with yourself about who you are who you want to be and how you want to be i'd say the easier it is going to be for you to be successful because if you're not honest with yourself or you're not able to see all the way you're going to end up either wasting a lot of time effort or both uh, where you can actually save yourself time and save yourself stress in the long run by being real with yourself. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's a very, very important thing you've mentioned. If you're not honest with yourself, you're almost, uh, you're almost setting yourself up for failure, if you will, because at the end of the day, it's you who's going to impact. But, you know, Chris, for someone who is thinking, you know what, I, I think I want to get started on this scale. I think I want to start really understanding myself better and being, uh, you know, understanding the true version of who I am. But I really don't know how to get started. I don't know the first thing I need to get done to, to get started on that journey. For yourself, you know, you've had all this growth over the last you know, couple of years. What would you say was the, the first step you took? Or what would you say is the first step someone who is trying to grow this skill should take? Um, I'm actually going to connect back to something you said earlier and say journaling. Mm. There's something really interesting about a blank piece of paper staring back at you and you can write anything on it. Mm. If you can, if you're trying to learn about yourself uh, and you want to do it in a non-judgmental, totally safe space, one of the best things I've found is journaling. You know, you, you talked about it for a specific skill or specific thing um but for me i think it's great for learning about yourself mm -hmm. i have years of journals and i don't write every day if you really want to go crazy you'd write like every day or every week but i can go back and i can look at where my headspace was or what i was thinking or, or what i was feeling about certain things over time and i can reflect and say wow i was feeling that way mm. interesting the other thing i would say it's a simple one to do is empower the people that you trust to give you feedback. Absolutely. Unless you're like a hermit living up in like the Arctic circle. Right. And even then they probably have a couple other hermits that they go hunting with. <laughs> you know, there's somebody or somebody's in your life that you trust. It might be only one or two people, but there's somebody whether it's a parent or a best friend, or I'm lucky to be married to an amazing woman who loves to give me feedback. <laughs> and, uh, and those people are typically the best uh, situated to point out things in you that you're not seeing. Absolutely. You can empower those people. It's hard, right? Because you might say, Hey, man, can you give me feedback if you see me doing this thing? And then you tell me, and then I get to, oh, what the heck? Da, 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 da. Right? So you have to really empower them and work through maybe some bumps initially. Mm. Um, but journaling, you can do on your own. 
and then there are already people in your life that you trust if you just listen to them they can help you learn more about yourself yeah i definitely appreciate your answer there and i think uh what you mentioned you know empowering the people in your life to give you that feedback because it's very easy to say hey you know give me feedback whenever you want but then when you throw up all the barriers and, and walls and you're not open to feedback that no one is going to bother giving you feedback the next time because that's just too much work for them uh but yeah i think uh journaling is a key one for awareness also uh getting other people's spot uh on your actions and how it impacts uh i think that's key now, when I'm thinking about emotional intelligence, Chris, I'm also thinking about two other areas. And one of them is self-regulation. And regulation is about, okay, so you have this awareness, you know what you're feeling, but you know, the fact that you know what you're feeling on where, or where your headspace, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily positive all the time, or it doesn't mean that you know, you're going to be nice all the time, or it doesn't mean that you have positive emotions all the time. Sometimes you're frustrated, sometimes you're angry, and you know, the natural reaction is to have that spillover. And I call that transfer, transferring of aggression to other people, like if you're having a bad day. How do you control or regulate you know, when yourself when you have such days, especially as an entrepreneur where you, know, you have no, you you for sure with your suppliers, but then you have to like change your headspace as you're dealing with your customers, and you want to control yourself to make sure that you are, you know, you're projecting the right image to them. How do you work on on your regulation, or how have you grown your regulation over the years? I almost said it. I'm not <laughs> so it's hard, right? Um, I'd say there's two again, two parts. I'm trying to keep answers simple. One mm -hmm. and two parts. First part is habits. Uh, so for instance, stress, right? Stress builds up. How do we release stress? Everyone does it differently. Some people go hiking in the mountains. Some people work out in the gym. Some people um, go run around with their kids. Some people sit around and write poetry or journal. Uh, so I think you wanna have habits that help you stay on point one habit that i'm developing i'm almost there as like an actual habit is working out twice a week mm. just twice a week every week monday through sunday two different times at least mm. uh and it might be saturday sunday back to back <laughs> but you know working out twice a week is one that has is just for me right or uh i play play with my kids mm. these are habits but then also i think you want to have little tips and tricks when you can in the moment. Mm -hmm. So for me, one of my tips and tricks to reset my headspace is I listen to music. Mm -hmm. Like if I am frustrated with this over here, but I don't have to go talk to this person and I have X amount of time, drive time or dead time in between, I have like a playlist or a different, different playlist that I'll put on list, just listen to songs and just like get in the groove. And then when I get to that next thing, it's like my mind's been reset. Hmm. Absolutely. You know? And and it's going to be different for everybody. Um, but if you can have a mix of regular habits plus like life hacks that you can throw at yourself. And you know, like some people like to breathe. Oh, I'm really angry. I need to just deep breathe for 30 seconds or, you know, whatever it is. Right. And that's part of the journey of self-discovery. That's part of the journey of life. Mm-hmm. 
truly understanding yourself and then understanding what works for you to control yourself in those difficult moments because i think a lot of people they feel guilty when they find themselves in that headspace but i think you know that is not a problem it's very natural to experience those emotions it's very natural to feel them perhaps it's even healthy to allow yourself to feel them but it's how you decide to project moving forward that really makes a difference which kind of comes back to stoicism right and choice it always comes back to choice you know, you can't always choose the emotional reaction you're going to have right off the bat. But once you realize you're in an emotional place, then you have a choice. I can stay emotional or I can try to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that last piece and another uh, piece of emotional intelligence that I always think about it, I think is also crucial is empathy. And empathy is one that really, you know, reflects interactions how you treat people how you you know talk to people and empathy is all about you know putting yourself in the shoes of someone else and trying to imagine how they're feeling and what they're thinking based on your reaction with them or based on your interaction with them how do you grow that skill of being for some people i guess it comes naturally to kind of just think of others in that way for some other people it's a little difficult to put yourself in other people's shoes because of course you're in your own world and you have a billion things you're worried about but how have you grown that skill or how would you say someone who is struggling with that skill? Because as an entrepreneur, you need that. So you need partners. You need uh, to create those relationships. How do you grow that? So this is probably one of the ones I've struggled with the most. Um, I think I told you during our prep call, the older and more experienced I get, the less emotionally intelligent I think I am. Um, because I'm learning more and more about empathy and about really caring about other people, Mm. right? And you can't just force yourself to care about people right off the bat. You can't be like, oh, I'm going to start caring about people today because that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm. But um, I think connecting to why is always really important. Like in general, in life, I think the most important question you can ask about anything is why. And so when it comes to empathy, you know, it's, Uh, Why is this person here? Is a really good way to start thinking about other people in your organization, in your life. Mm. You know, whether it's your wife or your kid or, or your employee or your business partner, you know, why is this person here really sets the foundation for a whole lot of other things like, how can I help them? Why should I help them? Why do I care about helping them? Mm. You know, this, that, and the other. Um, but why are they, I mean, it's particularly in business, right? It's a business podcast. In business, as an entrepreneur, you're going to have people that you work with or people that work for you. And uh, I think you can greatly increase your empathy towards those people when you think about why they're there. You know, even a supplier. I have a, um, a, a, a representative, a sales rep that I work with um, for our, our supplier. And I really like him. Uh, and in talking to you right now, I realize why I like him is uh, I understand why he does his job. He's good at it and he mm-hmm. has his family and he, has, and he has his stuff he likes to do on the weekends. And I understand why. And I understand. So when he's frustrated and stressed uh, or when he misses on a commitment to me and I'm frustrated with him, uh, you know, I can go back to the why. Mm. Why is he so busy? 
Well, because he's doing all this stuff because he's trying to provide for his family. Hmm. Right? Or why is your employee late? You know, and at the side, a little empathy has a limit too, right? At a certain point, uh, you can just say, okay, this person's disrespecting me. I don't need to be empathetic. They're just disrespecting me and my time. But uh, in general, you know, I'd say most people aren't actively trying to cause you problems. Most people are on their own journey, doing their own thing. So if someone is consistently late every day, yeah, I may be disrespected or feel disrespected, but why are they here and why do they keep being late? They probably have a deeper issue around punctuality and respect for themselves. Hmm. Very true. It just comes with time, man. Like I said, when I first started as a leader, I thought I was a great leader and I was very insensitive. And uh, depending on who you talk to now, maybe uh, maybe I'm more sensitive. Maybe I'm still a long way to go. Um, I feel like this is a rambling answer, but I'm trying to tie it all back together. I guess just uh, empathy comes from why. Hmm. And the more you connect back to the why, the more empathetic you'll be. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. You know, when you have, when you ask that why question, it really forces you to really be more curious, right? Because when you're more curious about others and you ask them questions and you trying to find out more about their own journey, their own story, it gives you some more insight into who they are. They're not just a number or they're not just that person. They are this person with this story, with a reason, with a, with a life, with challenges, just like everyone else, just like myself. And it makes them feel more uh, human in a way. And I think that's uh, one of the, the keys to empathy. Now, uh, shifting gears a little bit as well. I know you've done, you're, you're, you're a bit of a creative yourself. I know you've done a lot of writings with your poems and moments of inspiration. I'm just very curious about that. What, 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 what's, uh, are you like, do you consider yourself to be a poet, a writer? Uh, what's your creative journey like? Yeah, I would consider myself a wandering poet. Uh, it's funny, when I was younger, I didn't consider myself creative at all. I was very much into sports, uh, athletic, a lot of, you know, play this sport, play that sport, depending on the season. Mm. Uh, academics, very smart, very book smart. Um, never really saw myself as very creative uh, until uh, the summer between my freshman and sophomore years at university. I, uh, I worked at a camp, a summer camp for inner city kids. So inner city kids brought, brought like, you know, primarily minority, um, brought from the city out into the country to go to like a conventional summer camp with like hiking and overnight hiking and living in cabins and, you know, climbing trees and playing around like all this stuff. Right. And, but, uh, working with those kids they they actually have a very strong artistic connection and uh, i've always been into hip-hop and and working with them that summer we did all these really cool things around hip-hop and poetry and kind of reverse engineering poetry from hip-hop and separating the beats and the poetry because hip-hop right well there's rap which is just rhyming but then mm-hmm. hip-hop storytelling mm-hmm. right it's storytelling on a beat bump 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 uh but it's still storytelling, right? And you can you can pull back and you can get these rhymes. And uh, there's this really cool like program we did around Tupac and Tupac's poetry. Uh, and that really kind of got me going. And I'm trying, you know, and as a counselor, I'm trying to help these 
kids get in touch with their creative and you know do this and they kind of were like well chris what are you gonna write what are you gonna do and i I had written poems as a child here and there for school projects mostly but that was a really like mind-opening experience and i just started writing poems and they were really bad uh and and raps wrote (laughs) raps with my uh with my uh, you know kids that i was working with and uh and i and i combined that with journaling to kind of create this outlet and then also around that time is when i picked up hand drumming Mm. um and i i'd been trained as a classical percussionist in a school school band and if anyone has ever done school band knows the percussion is like the most boring thing you're just basically counting it's like one two three four one two you know it's just math it's Mm -hmm. not even art it's math and so I just really it wasn't about that. And then I found this creative outlet of hand drumming, which, you know, there are notes and you can play songs, but really hand drumming is basically you're just hitting the drum and feeling the rhythm. Mm-hmm. I caught that at the same time that I was hitting the page to catch the lyrics, right? Uh, and it was just, I guess it was the right time in my life where uh, I was open-minded enough to see that oh maybe i can be artistic you know even though i'm not good at drawing or i never considered myself artistic i i want to have creative outlets and here's these things that i can do and i can do whatever i want and i can make it sound however i want and i can you know play on the ground whenever i want uh and what i realized is that every human being is creative in some way or another and I was just lucky enough to find two of my outlets at the same time. I love drums and beats and I love words and poems. And so, and then the journaling, right? Mm. I do this, my journals are like this really interesting mix of poems, mm. raps or verses, I call them, uh, and just straight up journal entries. Mm. And I never really know exactly what I'm going to write until I start going. Mm. And sometimes it's a cool poem and sometimes it's just, get it out on the um but what i realized is even me mr athlete and academic and not creative at all even i had creative passions Mm. and so now what i try to encourage everyone to do is or i always ask people how do you express yourself creatively and you'd be surprised how many people say oh i'm not creative Mm. it's like well but what what do you do what do you create Mm. i'm not artistic well because most people at least in my experience, think about artistic or creative as drawing. Sure. But I mean, you could be a really artistic, creative basketball player. Sure. You could be a really artistic, creative business person coming up with business solutions, right? Uh, One girl that I knew a long time ago, her outlet, she created playlists. Hmm. It wasn't like a DJ, but she liked to create playlists for certain moods and feelings and vibes. And that was like her thing. Mm. So I just got lucky. Uh, I caught myself at the right time to love myself enough and trust myself enough to explore that. For sure. 
Well, I have one last question for you and time has just gone by so quickly. We've just been in this conversation, uh, but it relates to, you know, performance uh, in a pandemic. So I, you know, one of the things uh, I wanted to chat about you to get a sense of how you've been able to keep your levels of performance high, even as everything seems to be going crazy around us in the world. What would be your advice be for someone who says struggling to maintain that level of performance, they're working from home, so many distractions, so many things to worry about. How can you stay focused in these times? Sure. So first of all, before we even get to these times, I think everyone should think really thoroughly about their career choices mm. um, and know there's an economic cycle. Whether there's a pandemic or not, which there may be another one in our lifetimes, there may not be, but there will be economic ups and economic downs and you should always be thinking about your industry and your career in terms of how you're going to do, how you're going to handle it when things are going good in the economy and when things are going to go badly. Hmm. Because human beings are human beings. The economy goes up, the economy goes down. Whether it's something like a pandemic that nobody really saw coming or whether it's something caused by humans in the last financial crisis with uh, you know, subprime mortgage lending and all these mortgages that were given out to people who couldn't afford them and creating this massive issue. That was caused by humans, right? Right. Either way, the economy is gonna cycle up and cycle down. It's what it does. And so you should always be thinking, and, and I realize this from like oil companies and airlines and things like that. They have these long time scales they look like look past and they realize hey things aren't always going to go well we need to plan for when the oil price goes down and when the oil price goes up what are we going to do to maximize it and when it goes down what are we going to do so you should mm -hmm. think about your industry and your career that way first that's part of why i picked roofing it doesn't matter to the economy if you have a leak in your roof you need a roof sure that's the first piece but once you're in it i mean always connect to the why and always connect to what you can just do today and how you can adapt today. You know, you're never gonna solve all your problems in one day, but you could start solving a few of them today. Sure. So start out from uh, basically what you can control, which is kind of almost a theme of our conversation. What can you do right now to move the needle just a little bit? Can you speak to one person? Can you send out one email? And uh, taking those steps definitely uh, starts that snowball effects. Well, yeah, uh, action. there's so many people that refuse to take action either through fear or whatever else but just take that action today absolutely well it's been a pleasure having you on the show here chris uh, so much of your wisdom has been much appreciated thank you for sharing them and uh yeah thanks very much for your time yeah it was great talking to you as well good luck with your new endeavors and i uh, hope maybe i can come back uh in a couple of years absolutely that would be the plan thank you sir <laughs> see you